halfway through our first show of the work week. Pretty soon, if you aren't already, you'll be counting down the days to Christmas and or Hanukkah. We're now inside of three weeks, which is pretty crazy and going to be chaotic and hectic. But I find at least some comfort, some stability in knowing that the work schedule remains the same and the NFL even with all of its roller coaster rides up and down and uh, the unpredictable and unlikely and atypical storylines from week to week, uh, it's still something that I can rely on. It is dominating right now. Hard to say goodbye to Team USA at the World Cup. Uh, we'll try to work that in uh, as we head through these next two hours. But there were some huge storylines in sports that we probably won't get to until the next couple shows. Uh, one being the USA and their loss to the Dutch on Saturday morning. Uh, another being, even though at this point you know who the four playoff teams are for college football, and I can tell you who they are. Georgia, a clear number one, is the defending champion. Michigan the Big Ten champion who wants another shot at Georgia. TCU losing in overtime in the Big 12 championship, but still earning that number three spot at 12-1. and one. And then Ohio State leaping back into the college football playoff despite the fact that the Buckeyes did not play in the Big Ten championship. They take advantage of what was a... Wheels come off loss by USC in the Pac-12 championship. Georgia, Michigan, TCU, Ohio State, those are your top four for the college football playoff. Two Big Ten teams for the first time in the nine years since we moved to this format with the playoff. So we can do more with that. These games don't come up for a long time. (laughs) Not until December 31st. Do we have the college football playoff semifinals, which I know they wanted to get away from, but they were locked into these bowl dates. They were locked into TV dates. They don't love doing it on New Year's Eve. And get this, it's a Saturday as well. So not only is it a, is it New Year's Eve when people tend to be out and have other engagements, but it's also a Saturday. And so the Peach Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl on New Year's Eve and then the championship played at SoFi Stadium. So the home of the Rams, last year's Super Bowl, that comes up on January 9th. We can talk more about that. Long way to go. A lot of the bowls are set. There's some intrigue there. But that's also kind of getting back burner status on this edition of the show. Plus, Jacob deGrom. This was a stunner on Friday. Leaving the New York Mets, the two-time Cy Young Award winner, heading to the Texas Rangers. I don't know that you can blame him. In his mid-30s, getting a five-year contract and the money that he's getting, it's his chance to be set for life now, his chance to be a free agent. And even though he said that he wanted to stay in New York or that he loved playing for the Mets, it's hard to turn down that kind of money. By the way, Aaron Judge was wearing a San Francisco 49ers jersey at the game on Sunday. So he and his wife, I forgot his wife's name, Samantha maybe? It might be Samantha. He and his wife were there at the game between the Niners and the Dolphins. And he was actually in a concourse with fans. I saw, or maybe it was out front, but I saw some photos and videos of him 
in amongst fans because you can't miss the guy wearing a Niners jersey. You know, he's a Bay Area guy. Also can't fault someone if they go home. But according to reports, now the winter meetings start in San Diego in mere hours. According to the reports, though, the Yankees still have a few tricks up their sleeve. A couple of cards left to play. So we've got a lot of baseball on tap this week. We'll talk more college football. And, of course, we'll deliver the final eulogy for the U.S. soccer team at the World Cup, even as they get down to the quarterfinals there in Qatar. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence, CBS Sports Radio. We're live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. When you need cash out of your home and a simple way to get it, Rocket can. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. We do have our new poll up. Which team... And by virtue of that, which fan base should be the most mortified, morbid, morose, and miserable, manic even, on this Monday? That's a lot of M words. The longer we do this poll and this feature, the more M words I come up with. We, for the first time ever, have included two teams from the same game. (laughs) This is what happens when I leave producer Jay in charge. I'm I'm just kidding. It's the NFL. We we talked about the various options and there were so many different fan bases that would be feeling that hangover on Monday. That medicinal. There's another M word. Which fan bases are feeling medicinal on Monday? Nice. <laughs> yeah, Miami and San Francisco are both in the poll. Yes, the Dolphins looked hideous. Though they had won five in a row before that. But I think the biggest thing is that they did not match the Bills in terms of the number of wins. But does San Francisco actually feel worse? Despite the win, losing Jimmy Garoppolo, their starting quarterback the rest of the season. Is it the Broncos who can't hold on to a lead against the Ravens even though Tyler Huntley took over for Lamar Jackson? We'll give you the update on his knee injury as we head through the show. And then the Bears. Now finally, ultimately eliminated from playoff contention. Not a huge surprise. But is it worse when it comes against the Green Bay Packers, who seemingly can only beat Chicago this year? So the poll is up on Twitter after our CBS or on my Twitter, A-Law Radio. We could have put the Colts in there as well. Even Jeff Saturday says it's bad. The term rock bottom was used in Matt Ryan's press conference. We certainly could have put other teams in there as well. The Rams, first reigning Super Bowl champion ever to lose six games in a row the following season. Oi. As always, we welcome your write-in ballots. So either on Twitter or on Facebook, Vote for Mortification Monday. Oh, it hurts. I need some medicine. Uh, I don't think either of the teams in the AFC North. Well, if you think about the AFC North, all three. Wait, four, one, two, three. All four teams won in the AFC North on Sunday. How about that? Might be the first time all season. Pretty sure. I'd have to go back and check, but. They all won in very different ways. The Ravens with Tyler Huntley. The Bengals we're about to talk about. The Browns welcome back to Sean Watson. 
the Steelers on the road in Atlanta and a really emotional component to their victory against the Falcons. All four AFC North teams win on Sunday. And the Bengals have figured out the key to beating the Kansas City Chiefs. Though, don't they give us a show every single time they step on the field? 8.54 left in the first quarter. Burrow runs a quarterback draw. Joe yeah. slicing toward the end zone. In, waiting for the touchdown yes. signal. Yes. There it is. Touchdown, Bengals. Higgins out to the right. Burrow throws a slam. Nice. Higgins with a catch. Get in. He breaks a tackle. He extends the ball. Touchdown. Nice. Bengals as the Bengals score touchdowns on their first two drives. Handoff goes to Pacheco up the middle inside the five. Pacheco spins into the end zone. Touchdown, Kansas City bowling for dollars. 28 seconds to the two-minute warning of the first half. Tight triangle to the left of Mahomes. Split right, Justin Watson. Mahomes with the snap. Now throws it left flat. Caught by McKinnon. He'll walk into the end zone left side. Touchdown, Kansas City. Mitch Holtis on Chiefs Radio and then Dan Horton, Dave Lapham on Bengals Radio. So Cincinnati races out to a 14-3 lead. They've got touchdowns on both of their first two drives. And, man, they are becoming a team that can chew up clock as well. And that's exactly what you want to do against the Chiefs, right? Because you want to keep Patrick Mahomes and all those weapons on the sidelines. But Kansas City settles in with a second-quarter possession They actually take seven minutes off the clock themselves. And what does that tell you? You have to take advantage of your possessions. If they're only going to be a handful of them in the entire half, you have to take advantage of them. So, yeah, 11 and a half minutes for the Bengals on their two touchdown drives and then seven minutes, 14 plays for Kansas City. And it actually included a fourth and four conversion. So, Andy Reid going for it on fourth and four. It was midfield. But Juju Smith-Schuster hauls in a catch and gets across that first down line. Jarek McKinnon then caps that drive with a two-yard touchdown reception. And this is a great game at the half. It's 14-10. to 10. And then you see what the Chiefs do when they're behind. I actually think they like being the team that's in hot pursuit instead of the team that's being pursued. They like the challenge. And this one, especially with the hostile crowd. Touchdown drives for them in the third quarter that helped them to take the lead, but not without drama because Patrick Mahomes, well, sometimes he's a heart attack waiting to happen. 17-17 tie. Chiefs fourth down and goal to go at the three. In motion left to right. Juju Smith-Schuster. Snap to Mahomes, looking right. Now pumping. He'll run it. Up the middle. He dives. And the ball's out. They're going to give him a touchdown. Did he break the plane? They will call a touchdown. Kansas City. Check on Mahomes. Oh, he's fine. He's sprinting like a 200-meter dash to the sideline. And the Chiefs have their biggest lead of the game (laughs) on a fourth and three. Quarterback scramble up the middle by Mahomes. Yeah, he just wanted to get the heck out of Dodge. He goes airborne like he's Michael Jordan. I think that's what producer Jay said earlier. And he holds the ball out like he's going to dunk it over the goal line. The way that Jordan used to take off at the free throw line. I love the analogy. And as he crosses the goal line, obviously the ball is knocked away because he's hanging out there saying, here, come get it. It's a football. I'm holding it with one hand. Mitch Holtis on Chiefs Radio. 
So, yes, before the fumble, Mahomes takes off running as fast as he can. And the Chiefs are able to pull in front 24 to 17. And here's the turning point. Cincinnati is only able to scrape together a couple of field goals in the second half until Travis Kelsey coughs up the football in the fourth quarter. He's rumbling after a catch. He's trying to force his way forward to pick up extra yards. And Jermaine Pratt wrenches the ball away from him. Gets a hand on it with a gr- with some great leverage, good angle, and just bam, pulls it out of his hands, which is hard to do with Travis Kelsey. And it's a new opportunity then for the Bengals. And Joe Burrow makes the most of it. On this drive, he goes six of seven, including the last play. Jamar Chase is in the backfield next to Burrow. Burrow wants to throw, short Bay, pass, get caught in. at the five. Boom. Chris Evans into the end zone. Touchdown, Bengals. Cincinnati takes the lead with 8.54 to go. I'll tell you what, just a great, they got to the line of scrimmage quickly. They went no huddle, up tempo, got to the line of scrimmage before Kansas City could collect their thoughts. And uh, outstanding protection once again. Chris Evans has not seen the field much for the Bengals, and yet he hauls in that touchdown catch in the late stages. A 10-play drive for the Bengals to get in front then. Kansas City has an opportunity, trailing by three. Andy Reid chooses to go for a field goal from 55 yards. So Harrison Butker comes up, was it just to the left, I think, if I remember correctly? The ball is off the mark. They miss on the field goal, which gives Cincinnati the ball right back. And the Bengals just have to run out the clock, which they do. The two-minute warning stopped the clock with 1.59 to go. The Bengals face a dilemma here. Run it to make sure the clock winds down or pass it to try to win the game. Burrow's in the shotgun. Two receivers left, one out to the right. Zach Taylor gesturing wildly to get Tyler Boyd to go in motion. He does. Burrow drops back to throw, wants to throw. His pass over the middle. It is caught by T. Higgins in traffic at the 14. And that is Coffin Nails. Bam, bam, bam. A hard-fought game. The Bengals did a nice job coming down the stretch. We, you know, you know, you can't turn the ball over against a good team, and you surely can't miss a field goal. Um, but there was a lot of things in between that that we could have done better, and so we'll go back and we'll work on it and make sure that we we learn from it and and, uh, and try to become a better team. Big win. You know, it's great to, you know, another game like last week where, you know, we probably left some points on the field and we just find a way to win at the end. So that's, uh, that's always great. A lot to get better at. Uh, long season ahead still. We've got five more games to the playoffs, so got to keep this train rolling. You hear the voice of Joe Burrow. How about this? I don't know that any other team can say this. The last three meetings between the Bengals and Chiefs have all gone Cincinnati's way. So remember, regular season, early January 2022, then in the AFC Championship, which was in Kansas City. Ah, looks like we're going to the AFC Championship. Oh, hey, Joe Burrow talking about his kicker, right? Remember, that was Evan McPherson who told him on the sidelines, well, I guess it looks like we're going to the AFC Championship when they got into field goal range. And then this game, three times in a calendar year, three wins 
against the Kansas City Chiefs. So they are not intimidated. They're definitely not flummoxed. Now, I know they had their own home crowd there, and it was loud, to be sure. I actually appreciated the discipline of Kansas City, that there weren't a ton of pre-snap penalties, but there were definitely moments where they couldn't hear. The Cincinnati defense played extremely well in keeping the Chiefs at bay and, of course, that Travis Kelsey takeaway. I think you can see the big game experience and how it matters to the Bengals when they're facing an opponent like Kansas City. just says, you know, how it just, you know, our, our team knows what it takes to win those kind of games. It's, it's December now. This is when we start to turn it up. We just find ways to win these games. Uh, you know, that's, that's all there is to say about it. Like I told our guys that we didn't win a division championship today. We didn't win a conference. <laughs> we just won a game in early December. And we still got a long ways to go. And we got Cleveland coming in our house next week. And uh, we want to keep the momentum rolling. So Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals able to execute to near perfection. I mean, it doesn't mean the game itself was perfect, but they did everything they had to do to win. Though Zach Taylor wants to knock him down a peg. Meanwhile, Andy Reid decides to go for that 55-yard field goal instead of trying the fourth down. Very similar to what we've done before. and uh, You know, that's within his range. We've got to get, you know, that combination, the snap a little higher and the kick a little stronger. And, you know, you, you got a good thing going, but it, it didn't happen. I'm ready for whatever coach decides. If we want to kick the field goal, I believe we have one of the best kickers in the league. So I'm going to give them the chance to kick the field goal. And if coach wants to go for it, I believe that we can make it happen as an offense. So whatever coach decides, I know he's been in these moments before. Uh, I'm going to trust in that. And we went with the field goal, and it didn't didn't go our way this year, this time. The persuasion is just kind of I just you stay out there and just hope that he calls it. Um, uh, get the fourth down uh, chance. But we had gone through a lot of fourth downs throughout the game, and they were doing a good job. I mean, even we had hard-fought ones, but we had guys, we were, we were converting them. But, I mean, we have one, we paid Bucker, and we have one of the best kickers in the league, so we trust in him in those moments. And he's made a lot of big kicks. So uh, this one didn't go our way, but if we're in that moment again, I, I trust he'll make it. Travis Kelsey with an atypical game. Uh, it was highlighted multiple times by Jim Nance and Tony Romo that he went through an entire half, the first half with no targets which means the Bengals were targeting him with their defensive game plan. And then while he did have four catches and 56 yards, the fumble was devastating to him. The number of times CBS showed him on camera and he was so angry. He was so upset at himself. We tried to find post-game reaction from him and couldn't. Maybe we will at some point this week. Did want to hear what he had to say because he was really upset with himself in what is yet another three-point loss for the Chiefs to the Bengals. Now, here's how it stacks up in the AFC. Chiefs still have the best record, so they would still, at this point, be the number one seed. But the Bills sitting there at 9-3. and Actually, don't the Bills have the tiebreak? Never mind, i got to take that back. The Bills have the tiebreak over the Chiefs, do they not? Because the Bills beat the Chiefs earlier in the season? Earlier this year, right? Yeah, so, wow, interesting. I heard that on the way in with Westwood 1, and that was incorrect. Because he was talking about how the, they're still sitting at in the top spot. Unless I'm missing something. But no, the, the Bills definitely beat the, the Chiefs. The Bills beat yeah. the Chiefs earlier in the year, which would mean they would have the tiebreak. Oh, see there? Good thing I caught myself. So Chiefs have a 9-3 and three mark. Bills have a 9-3 and three mark. Right now it's Bills who would have the nose in front. But think about what's happening in the AFC North. Bengals are 8-4. and four. 
And now the Ravens are eight and four. And so they're also hot on the heels of the Bengals and the Chiefs. Dolphins are eight and four. Could have moved to nine and three, but lost to the Niners on Sunday. All right, so there's some heavy competition right there for the bye in the AFC. Which team should be most mortified on Monday? For whatever reason, injuries, a painful loss. Wait until you hear what Trevor Lawrence had to say about the Jaguars and how they got smacked in the face by the Lions. There's a lot of teams that will wake up feeling like they missed major opportunities on Sunday. So take our poll on Twitter after our CBS or on our Facebook page. And yes, we accept write-in votes. I'm seeing a bunch for the Indianapolis Colts, actually, and a few for the Jets. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. Hi, I'm PJ Vote here to tell you about my podcast called Search Engine, voted one of the best new podcasts by Time Magazine, Vogue, and The Economist. We answer fascinating questions about business, tech, and history. Questions like, who should be in charge of artificial intelligence? Or how did ADHD medication get so popular so fast? Listen and follow Search Engine with PJ Vote and Odyssey Podcast. Available now on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. Start of the second quarter in Baltimore with the Ravens trailing the Broncos 3-0. Tyler Huntley is warming up along the near sideline, taking snaps from backup center Christian Cologne. Ravens are looking at a third and 13. Yeah, Lamar, Lamar's, he has a, a cover on. He's going over to the blue tent. Lamar uh, has a... Uh, It's a knee, but it's not a season-ending type of knee. We'll get more tests tomorrow and let you know how long it's going to be. We'll see. Hopefully, I'll have something for you tomorrow afternoon, certainly by Wednesday. be more definitive, but it's it's going to be a number, you know, days to weeks. We'll see. We'll see if he can go back this week. If not, it'll be sometime after that shortly. This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Not what Baltimore Ravens fans wanted to hear, though. The good news is that Lamar Jackson has avoided a more serious season-ending knee injury because he got injured on a sack by John Cooper on the final play of the first quarter, which forced Tyler Huntley into action. The call on Ravens radio with Jerry Sandusky, and right away you see Tyler Huntley step into that role and use the veteran experience that he has against Denver. It's Justice Hill in the backfield. He goes in motion to the left. Huntley takes the snap, runs to the right. Touchdown, Ravens! Tyler Huntley with the first touchdown of the day. And with 28 seconds remaining, the Ravens are an extra point away from their first lead of the day. Now just a quarterback dive, and Huntley hit that thing so fast. For the touchdown, put his, he put his helmet down, he made contact, and he just kept turning his feet for the touchdown. You hear the call there on Ravens radio, and Jerry mentions that it's the first touchdown of the game. Well, that should tell you a lot of what you need to know about this one. Denver was up 9-3, to three, even after two interceptions. Baltimore in the second half is, is giving Denver extra opportunities 
but the Broncos are not able to take advantage of them, which shouldn't surprise anyone with the ineptitude that we talked about last week on offense. So there's a couple of interceptions in there, and the Broncos can't take advantage, and instead they've had a few field goals and have a 9-3 to lead. But Baltimore's pattern remains the same because the skill set for Tyler Hunt, Huntley is similar. Now, Lamar does it at a much higher level, but they have Tyler because they don't have to change their offense if they lose Lamar. And over four and a half minutes late in this fourth quarter, the Ravens march 91 yards on 16 plays. Huntley goes into the end zone with the rushing TD and Baltimore takes the lead. There is one last opportunity for Denver. Of course, it's it's not Russell Wilson. It's a kick. We've got a realistic shot for Brandon McManus. I see realistic. He's had one field goal in his career that he's made for more than 60. This ball will be spotted at the 47-yard line near hash, an attempt of 63 yards. Snap placement. McManus, does he have enough leg? It's going to be short. And it's over in Baltimore. We're talking about the San Francisco 49ers because their win, while it's their fifth straight, definitely has devastating undertones. The loss of Jimmy Garoppolo. The Ravens avoid that, but it still sounds like Lamar Jackson could be out for a game or two, maybe more. We have to wait for a definitive word on Monday, according to John Harbaugh. But as you hear with Dave Logan on Ravens, I'm sorry, Broncos radio, Brandon McManus misses the field goal and the Ravens are able to pocket the win. So right now, they, along with the Bengals, are still on top of the AFC North at eight and four. And good for Tyler Huntley. Pressed into service. Of course, it's always the job of the backup to remain ready. But he's had some experience. Remember, he took over for Lamar last year when Lamar got injured. And so not completely unfamiliar territory. It was cold outside, so I had to get warm. That's what I was thinking about, <laughs> getting get warm. So I did. I, I, I think I got warm enough. Not really a switch. Uh, I just like practice, you know, came in, got the reps that I did, and, uh, you know, appreciating them. Have the composure that he had just shows you how much, how good he really is, you know, how much he's learned. Um, you know, I'm thinking about Lamar, but um, you got to tip your hat to, to Snoop, just how, just how well he played, man. That's a, it's impressive football. I didn't know this, but apparently Lamar was tweeting about Tyler Huntley from the locker room, and so he was still engaged in the game as well. No, but I finally see it when I get to my phone. I'm really going to go by his house and check on him when we get done with this. For sure, got to make sure my boy okay. I can tell you right now, nobody's got it better than the Ravens. That's a great win. Wow. December football, you got to find a way to win the game, and I'm proud of our team. I'm proud of every single guy. proud of every single guy in that room there. Player, coach, manager, trainer, everybody. That was was the kind of win that you got to get in December, and I feel great about it. You can tell that John Harbaugh is relieved that the Ravens didn't suffer the worst news, which is that Lamar is out for the rest of the year with a knee injury. Glad that did not happen. Uh, sad for Jimmy Garoppolo, of course, but really you have the tale of two first-place teams, right, and two quarterbacks leading these teams and how the NFL can be a very cruel world sometimes. 
But the Ravens escape with the win. Meanwhile, the Broncos fall to three and nine. And once again, the onus is on Russell Wilson. So for Russell Wilson and the Broncos now, they fall to three and nine. And they are one of the worst teams, one of the worst records in the NFL. Not officially eliminated from playoff contention. The Texans have a worst record, worst record, a worst record in the AFC at 110 and 1. But the Broncos have nothing to get excited about. And so for them, for Russ, while he did complete the majority of his passes and had a, a QB rating, a quarterback rating over 100, there are no touchdowns. Now, there were no turnovers. And the Broncos got Jerry Judy back and they were able to distribute the football but we're not able to get into the end zone. Just two of 12 on third down. And so they're mindless yards moving up and down the field. Winning is a habit and losing can be one too if you let it. Uh, I talked to the guys after in the locker room. And I'm just telling them that at the end of the day, there's two things we can control is our attitude and our energy. And if we can control those two things in the midst of the storm, we're going to turn this thing around. Um, you know, and uh, obviously got a lot of ch- tough games, tough challenges coming up too. So we don't have time to sit and sulk. We have time to just get better. We got to finish. The guys know that. I mean, you can't play, uh, you know, a, a great game, the, the whole game, and, and, yeah. and not uh, all the way down to the last, uh, last second. So uh, we just have to find a way to finish these games. Did he say a great game? Huh. Nathaniel Hackett. According to Broncos insider Troy Rank, who joined us late last week, Nathaniel Hackett's not long for this head coaching job in Denver because they can't get rid of Russ without paying an extreme penalty. And that's on the Broncos. They gave him the massive contract before he ever took a snap in a game that counted. Nathaniel Hackett is the expendable piece. And I know they've had a ton of injuries, but every team has got a lot of injuries. The Broncos are a disaster. And as I said to you last week, it's the unthinkable. This was supposed to be their next big free agent quarterback signing along the lines of a Peyton Manning. Incidentally, uh, just as a tie here, six degrees of separation. Remember the first Super Bowl that the Broncos went to with Manning? It was a loss to Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. And so they know Russ well. And they were sure that they could hitch their wagon to his star. But it has gone so horribly wrong. Meanwhile, for the Ravens, though, they eke out the win. Ravens and Bengals at 8-4. and The other two teams in the AFC North also won on Sunday. We'll tell you how. Deshaun Watson returns. The Steelers, they were in Atlanta while the Browns were in Houston. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. Pick it empty, set first and 15. He throws the pass down the middle. What a catch! And that is Connor Hayward reeling that pass in for a 17-yard touchdown, the first of his career. It's a football feeding frenzy. After Hours with Amy Lawrence. What a moment for the Hayward family. You'll hear from Connor about his first career touchdown, but also his older brother, Cam, 
who may have been even more emotional as the Hayward brothers return home with the Steelers against the Atlanta Falcons. It's after hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. As I told you, every team in the AFC North comes away with a win in week 13. And Pittsburgh is able to come out early and often in Atlanta, scoring on all four drives in the first half, including that Connor Haywood, uh, Hayward catch on Steelers Radio with Bill Hillgrove. Atlanta is able to kind of keep its nose in there at least, make it respectable. They pull within three uh, at one point because of back-to-back scores, like a field goal. But the field goal drive took nine-plus minutes off the clock, which is astounding. If you're going to hold the ball for that long, freaking get the ball into the end zone. But Atlanta's missing some, some major weapons, and I think we're seeing the limitations of the Falcons' offense. So it's a 19-16 lead for the Steelers in the fourth quarter when Pittsburgh is able to play keep away. And this is so critical especially for a rookie quarterback, to recognize big picture. We don't need to go crazy here. We don't need to get 45 yards on one throw. We don't need to pad stats. What we need to do is run the time off the clock and protect our lead. And so they do just that with three first downs. And so they're able to run it all the way into that last minute. Atlanta gets the ball back with 39 seconds left on the clock, but still only trailing by three. Atlanta out of timeouts, 42 seconds from there two. The Steeler Nation is responding with decibels. Shotgun snap, <laughs> Mariota from his end zone, throws that pass, and it's intercepted. Going to the five-yard line and getting out of bounds is Minka Fitzpatrick, and that seals the deal. Once again, Bill Hillgrove on Steelers Radio. Yes, Minka Fitzpatrick to the rescue. He's one of my favorite defensive players in the league. And some great stuff for Pittsburgh on offense as well. Six of 12 on third down. They go over 150 yards rushing. Kenny Pickett, just shy of 200 yards through the air and a touchdown. Najee Harris in returning from that abdominal injury goes for nearly 90 yards. And don't look now, but that's back-to-back wins for Pittsburgh. Really excited for the group in the locker room. Two road victories in a row, man, was much needed. Trying to find that rhythm and do what good teams do, which is stack winning performance on top of winning performance. That's the first time we've done it this year and can't underscore that. If you're going to be somebody to be considered and taken seriously, you got you to gotta stack wins. Not perfect today, man, but I just thought we did what was required, particularly our big boys up front and Naj. Um, I just thought they controlled the line of scrimmage, uh, minimized uh, negativity because we stayed on schedule. We settled for field goals some, and so that's always concerning, but – you know, there's always going to be things to work on after games. Uh, I prefer to do that with a W um, as opposed to an L, and so we'll we'll work. <laughs> I can imagine it's a lot easier to do the work when you're coming off back-to-back wins. As for the Hayward brothers, an emotional trip to Atlanta because they visited the grave of their late father, who was also an NFL player. What a legacy. What an incredible pair of sons he fathered. But as you can imagine, Connor Hayward getting his first ever NFL TD with his brother Cam on the sidelines wearing the same uniform, how much they would have loved to see their dad in the stands. It was everything. It was really cool. Uh, the ball was in the air. My, kind of, my heart kind of dropped like, oh, it's coming to me. But uh, just glad I made the play. Glad everybody, all the other 10 guys on, on uh, that play did their job. And uh, honestly, you know, we drive the ball up and down the field. We just got to get better in the red zone. Has your brother said anything to you yet? Uh, he dabbed me up and told me good job. Uh, you know, I told him good job about his sack. If I could share a story like 
this morning, me and him went to my dad's grave, and you know we got to share a moment there. Um, and so I was pretty emotional when uh, you know he got the the touchdown. Uh, I don't like to be Mr. Soppy, but like that that like really hit me. Luckily, there wasn't a camera on me because I was a mess. Oh, I love that. That would have been me as well. Uh, all about family, right? And for these two brothers to share that moment after making the 35-mile trip to Lawrenceville, Georgia, where their dad is buried. Raise your hand if you remember Ironhead Hayward. I do. When he played in the NFL, I was a huge fan. But he died after a long battle with cancer in 2006. And so they were able to visit his grave and then honor him in this victory against the Falcons. It's after hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. Different kind of emotion for Deshaun Watson as he returns to the Houston area and does it as a member of the Cleveland Browns. And he was rusty, had an end zone interception in the first quarter, and then there was a Cleveland safety on the next drive. So they're trailing the Texans five to nothing, but special teams and defense to the rescue. Cameron Johnston standing back inside his five at the two on the punt. Donovan Peoples-Jones back and back and catches at his 25. Now where's he going to go? Cuts right. Out of a tackle. Out of another tackle. 30, 35, 40, 45, 50. He's down the sideline. 35, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. He's gone. Touchdown, Donovan Peoples-Jones. And on one hit, the Browns take the lead. One receiver out wide left, and he motions left to right, underneath center. Allen, he's going to quarterback sneak it, and he just dives over the pile. A loose ball is picked up by Denzel Ward. Touchdown! First and ten for Houston, now down by nine. Ogumbo Wale is the running back, and Kyle Allen underneath center. He's got one receiver right, one left. He's got the tight end, Aikens, coming down the line in motion. Allen takes the snap, drops the throw. Here comes Miles Garrett. They throw the ball, got tipped and picked off! It got picked off, and there goes Tony Fields for a touchdown! This is the first time in Browns franchise history that there were three non-offensive touchdowns scored in a game. As I'm watching it play out, I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. doesn't matter what Deshaun Watson does today because his special teams and his defense are giving him all the points that he needs in Houston. So, yes, Donovan Peoples-Jones, 76-yard punt return for a touchdown, gives them the lead. Tony Fields strips Kyle Allen, and then Denzel Ward recovers that fumble for a touchdown in the third quarter. And then, finally, Tony Fields gets his own moment, an interception return, a pick six for their third non-offensive touchdown of the day. As for Deshaun Watson, 12 of 22 for 131 yards as he returns to football for the first time in 700 days. It was fun, though. It was awesome to be able to get out there with my teammates. Uh, The defense played a heck of a game, got some uh, touchdowns for us. Special teams with DPJ, uh, the big uh, punt return was big for us to kind of shift the momentum. And uh, that's what we needed at the time. Um, And that's why it's a a team sport. And, um, you know, we just got to keep pushing forward. First game back, so you're going to work through it. Proud of the guys and getting a team win, obviously, when you come down here. But uh, he's going to learn from every rep. Obviously, Tony, you're missing a bunch of time and so you got to get back you got to get back in it you got to get these game reps uh got to get this first one out of the way and all those type of things but uh you know i know what the kid's capable of 
I just think offensively, you know, we were on the backs of our defense today, on the backs of our special teams who were outstanding. Uh, the run game was going, so we kind of stuck with it there uh, in the second half. The biggest thing is just getting uh, getting in and out the huddles, uh, calling plays. Didn't have too many uh, miscommunications with Kevin. I heard something walking off the field, and I guess it was 700-plus days since I played. So, yeah, it's going to be – it's not going to be perfect, um, especially playing in December football where, you know, guys are week 14, week 13, and this is week one for me. So Deshaun Watson is back, and – the Browns get a win. They move to five and seven. Steelers also get the win, and that one in Atlanta, as we talked about, they're now at five and seven. So how about that? The AFC North runs the table in week 13, though completely unconventional. The wins all look very different, right? The Ravens eke one out against the Broncos without Lamar Jackson. The Bengals host the Chiefs and beat them by three, so a tough-as-nails win there, a character-building win. The Browns see their Franchise quarterback get on the field for the first time in a game that matters. The Steelers grooming Kenny Pickett as their franchise QB, but they also get an emotional win. It's tough. It's tight. It's after hours. CBS Sports Radio. Hey, this is Matt Spiegel, and on my podcast, The PBP, Voices of Baseball, we learn how the best broadcasters in the game, like the Reds' John Sadak, try to capture the greatness of the best players, like Ellie Dela Cruz. He's a video game character. I mean, he is so athletic, and I think each moment is its own living entity, and I try to just match whatever that moment is. The PBP, Voices of Baseball. We bring you the people who bring you the game. Find us on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts.